Good morning. My name is uh, Cohen Rosewell, and I'm going to be documenting my life for the next uh, seven days. Cheese on the count of three. One. Dude, look at that. Okay, everyone's gone. We film everything. What's up, podcast world? This is your host, T. Huff. Welcome to Hollywood Hate Me. In this episode, we talked to Miles Below. Now, Miles is a cool guy, and he took the time to stay up a little late to get this interview in with me because we're in a way, way different time zone. Miles is actually in the UK. So this is our first international connection on Hollywood Hate Me, and I'm excited to bring some of the knowledge this guy is uh, going to share with you guys from the UK, from overseas. And in this episode, Miles talks about 10 steps to make a micro buster. Now, this is my first time hearing the term a micro buster, meaning, you know, micro budget, but a blockbuster, meaning a blockbuster film on a micro budget, which is really cool. I like that term. Actually, Miles is one of the founders of Wild Seed Studios, and they produce a bunch of projects just to go directly online for online distribution, VOD, and, and some of their films have received some theatrical distribution. Some of the first few films they made have been uh, sci-fi thrillers. And uh, it's really cool what they're doing. They got a really cool uh, setup. They have a cool business model. And it's something that, that you know, we could learn here in the, in the U.S. So, you know, I'm just trying to make connections with people across seas. Uh, it's very similar to what we do here in the indie scene. And it's just, just interesting to hear that, you know, people are doing things similar in the U.K. So, you know, we could learn from those guys. And hopefully they listen to this show and learn from us. Miles takes the time to to break down the 10 rules to make a micro buster. And, and I think you guys could get a lot out of it. It's stuff that, you know, you've probably already heard of. It's probably some new stuff. And uh, all in all, it's just useful. It's just great that he was able to come on here and share with the Hollywood Hate Me crew. So without further ado, let's go on ahead with the show. Are you an aspiring filmmaker looking to leave your mark on the big screen? You've come to the right place. Welcome to Hollywood Hate Me with your host, T. Huff. All right, uh, Miles Bulo, welcome to the show. It's great to have you here. It's a real pleasure to be speaking to you, uh, T. Huff. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, I just wanted to, uh, like I was telling you right before we started to record, I, I was online and I came across... You guys' trailer, and then I noticed that you had two of them. One of them is called... Uh... The first one is called Hungerford. That's the first film we made. Yeah, and that's right. The second, the second film is called The Darkest Dawn. 
That's right. The dark is done. I'm sorry. I was yeah. looking through my computer. Still a little frazzled here. You know, I had to switch over to the new computer, but hey, stuff happens. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> for sure. So you're uh, from Wild Seed. Yes. I think what you guys are doing over there is is uh, awesome. You mind just telling the Hollywood Hate Me crew really quick what Wild Seed is about? Yeah, sure. So we're about, uh, we're nearly four years old. We'll be four years old in April. And we set ourselves up really to try and work with the, the kind of new generation of talent that is emerging on digital platforms and social media. So especially YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, Snapchat. And um, you know, we looked out there in the big wide world and we saw these huge companies, uh, you know, which I used to, one of which I used to work for, not huge, but big. And, and my business partner, Jesse, he used to work for the BBC. And we could see that, you know, it was really, really hard for these big companies to kind of engage with with new talent and uh, because you know they had to they, they, they have to create hits they have to create hits to to um, to pay the bills and um and so they can't it's very hard for them to take a risk on new talent and and then we talked to the new talent and we realized that some of these guys were incredibly successful on youtube but they've really never done anything except for shoot videos in their bedrooms and done vlogging and but some of them are incredibly talented and incredibly ambitious and we and we thought well maybe we can help maybe we can help both these parties here maybe we can help these this new talent to take what they do to the next level uh, and maybe we can help big companies or um, maybe we can help big, big companies by kind of finding new talent and doing projects with them and and proving to them that they're you know they're possible to work with and they have great ideas and then um, and sort of provide, hopefully, um, a bit of a conveyor belt, if you like, of new projects and new talent for the, for the media industry. But what, what that's resulted in is that we've raised some money and we make investments into projects and we kind of don't have to ask anyone's permission. So the first film that I mentioned, Hungerford, we made that for £23,000. Which, which are about $40,000. And it won, you know, it was selected for Sci-Fi London, which is a really big and prestigious sci-fi film festival. It won Best Sci-Fi Horror at uh, the Berlin Independent Film Festival. The actress playing the lead female role, she won Best Actress at Porto. And the previous winner there was um, Helena Bonham Carter. So, you know, that, that kind of film performed way, way above our expectations. And and punched well above its weight. And and the second film we've just we've just released over here in the UK, and it is it, that one cost us forty three thousand pounds, so about kind of seventy thousand dollars. And yeah, we've we've sold both films in the states. We've sold both films to full screen, the um, the kind of millennial focused SVOD. And the second film, the, the thing we learned from the first film is that we we need to cast some proper social talent in it. So. So we have British social talent in uh, in the second film with subscribers, you know, more than two million subscribers between them on YouTube and uh, and Instagram and Snapchat and uh, and Facebook. Okay, yeah, I was going to ask. Was the reason why you looked at talent on YouTube is it because they already have a, a built-in audience as far as their subscribers and followers? Exactly, exactly that. Yeah, I mean, first of all, you can you can have a look at them and you can kind of make an assessment as to whether. You think they would be able to do to, to act, and whether they be whether they be good in the movie, and then also, yeah, clearly um, their their social media following was something that was really important to us. Okay, these are the YouTubers uh, in the UK. Yeah. These are uh, the the people in front of the camera. You didn't find the filmmakers off of YouTube. Yes. So, and the director, uh, Drew Casson, he was uh, 19 when we made the first film. 
Wow. And he'd been making he'd been making YouTube videos since he was kind of 13. And he'd been doing VFX movies and little shorts and fan films. And he did a Harry Potter tribute film, which got him um, a cease and desist letter from Warner Brothers because they thought he was a member of the crew moonlighting. But he sent he sent them a letter from his teacher at school saying, no, no, this is just Drew and he's 15. And really, um, he's not uh, you don't you don't need to worry about him. So they wow, didn't. That's that's a compliment. Yeah, really. Exactly. <laughs> really, really, really cool. So, um, yeah, we found him on YouTube and uh, someone introduced us to him. We just thought this guy's really talented, you know, and our, our, our first investment in anyone is limited to £10,000. So, you know, today that's what, you know, between twelve dollars and $15,000, depending on how terrible the British economy is doing. We absolutely cap our investment at that level so that, you know, because there was a sort of when we when we made our first investment in Drew, there was a kind of we, we always say there's a kind of 80 percent chance that it wouldn't work. But, you know, he would just take the money and uh, not take the money because we, you know, we, ha we do that carefully. And the reason we do that is so that, you know, no single investment can can finish the company because we're, we're really working with untested talent. And we really want to we really want to, you know, be fearless and let them really try and try something new and experiment without trying to give them too many notes or be too afraid of, of what they're going to do. And in order to be able to do that, we need to kind of keep the cost really, really low. But. But with that £10,000, we're really, really ambitious. And we make, you know, when we'd finished, by the time we finished filming um, Hungerford, which is the first film we did with Drew, mm -hmm. um, on the last day of principal photography, we'd actually only spent £10,000. And then, and then we realised that it was something, you know, really, really, really good and special. So we decided to increase our investment and we took it up to, um, we took it up to £23,000. It's, um, it's a really interesting model and it, and it means we can move really, really fast because, you know, we're not dealing with huge amounts of money. So we can just, we can make an instinctive decision about something that we think is going to be good. And we can put a bit of money into it uh, and we can see if it works. So it's been, it's been really, really exciting. We've really, really loved it and we've, you know, we've attracted some really interesting people to the to the proposition, and we hope to make a lot more of the movies this year, which I can talk about, which we can talk about as well. Okay, yeah, 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 we could get to that. I just wanted to, uh, yeah. you know, highlight some of the stuff that you said, because, you know, uh, there's a lot of filmmakers here in the United States. You guys are in the UK, right? Correct, yes. Yeah, yeah just so the listeners know, uh, uh, you guys yeah. are in the UK. But um, but at the same, we we have the same you know issues here in the United States as far as there's a lot of filmmakers who think that their first or second project needs to have yeah. a lot of money behind it in order to be successful. But it sounds yeah. like from what you're saying that you could still be successful by making the film with a little to to no money because you 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 still are free to be creative and and, and take chances because if it doesn't work, not a lot of money is lost. Correct. That's exactly right. And um, and also, we're, you know, I, I think it's a really interesting way of discovering new voices. Mm -hmm. So so, you know, you, you want to really you really want to find filmmakers who have a distinctive voice and have a vision. And so, again, if, if they're untested, you, you, you don't want to put a huge amount of money in it in case their vision is uh, is not effective or not or, or not interesting. But yeah. But I think it is a, a great way of trying out people who you think might be really promising, and that's yeah. You don't you don't need a huge amount of money to make a film these days. You can, you know, there, we, we. I'm sure you've covered films made on iPhones. Um, yes. You know, you can make you can shoot it on prosumer technology. You can edit it with Adobe Premiere, and that gives you access to a pretty full suite of software to do VFX with, and you can release it. 
uh, on digital platforms at a very, very low cost. I mean, obviously there's marketing, but but you can use social media to market your film very, very cost effectively. So why not do that? Why not make? Why why not create a calling card and really and really show what you've got without having to wait for someone to give you millions of dollars? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And as far as you guys' screenwriting process, do you set certain type of limits for the filmmakers? You know, because uh, what you guys made, from what I've seen from the trailers, um, yeah. I've, I've tried to watch the film online, but each time I went to Amazon, it's like Amazon UK. And, yeah. And, the best and way, to, the best way to watch it for for US viewers is to um is to go to full screen. Full screen, okay. Yeah, they have a month's free trial. You can join full screen and then watch it. And if you like it, obviously. Uh, continue with your subscription but if you don't like it you can cancel your subscription after one month that's not like an online channel but uh, it's it's like a netflix but but millennially focused so much for like younger audiences and and they're they're really having a lot of success with horror and sci-fi so please do head over to i hope your um uh, your audience will head over to full screen and check and check out both hungerford and um and the darkest still i'll put the link in the uh, show notes so they could you know get right to it so I mean, you guys' films, Hungerford yeah. and The Darkest Dawn, um, yeah. both of them have a lot of visual effects. So for it right. being, uh, you know, films that these, you know, low budget or let me say no budget films, uh, yeah. it has visual effects. So I noticed that both of them have some type of sci-fi element. So what was the decision in that of making like sci-fi thriller films? Yes. So, I mean, for, for us, it was a really, you know, for, I've been I've been doing this for a while and and um, but I've been doing it old school, so this was this was kind of a learning process for me as well. But when we teamed up with Drew, you know, he said, that, and, and you know, he said, I want a spaceship in the film, and we went, yeah, how are we going to do that with no money? <laughs> and he said, um, well, we're going to go on a website called Turbo Squid, and oh, yeah. we're going to down we're going to download um, a fully rigged uh, model of a of a working spaceship, and it's going to cost us a hundred bucks. And that's exactly what we did. And in, you know, and in the darkest storm, we've got helicopters, airplanes, tanks. We've licensed all this stuff at very low cost from, from creators around the world who, who create these things and then upload them to to, to websites like TurboSquid. And um, what you do have to, what you, you have to be really clever the way you use them because, you know, with our spaceship, if you spent if you did it in 4K and you projected it on a big screen and you spent, you know, a long time looking at it, then the audience would kind of start to see that it was, um, you know, that we'd, we'd approached it in an, with economy in mind. It's not, it's, we're never going to compete with a $100 million movie in terms, yeah. of, in terms of the precision or the quality, if you like, of the, of the effects. But where, where Drew is so clever is that he's, the camera's constantly moving, you get a sense of what you're supposed to see. You don't, but we don't linger on it endlessly. So that that's one of the things that we really work on in the script is that, and in the and in the direction is that, is that effects are talked about and hinted and hinted at, but they're often they're only seen for a short for a short period of time, and usually in a big action sequence where you don't have a moment to kind of catch your breath and stare at the effects and go, how did they do that? Because you're straight on to the next thing. So it sounds like the director, when you guys approached him, he had an idea for a sci-fi type type films. And uh, and you guys thought that that would work better in the marketplace than a drama? Yeah. So we, we also think that in the UK, there's an opportunity as well, because something like in the UK, something like 25% of the films that are made are dramas but they only account for 7% of the box office. Okay. And, you know, there is a, there's definitely a shortage of supply of British sci-fi 
you know, sci-fi, fantasy, action, horror, thrillers. Okay. And um, and so we thought, let's let's concentrate on those. Let's leave the let's leave the the you know the well-established and successful British filmmakers to make things like the King's Speech and you know all those literary adaptations because. Uh, because we think there's a there's a gap there for British films, which reflect the lives of Brit- the British cinema-going audience, which is, you know, let's face it, as a 16 to 24-year-old um, audience. And that's not really being properly served at the moment. So we kind of, we did it partly because that's the films that we like and the films that the people that we were talking to like, but also because we think there's a there's an audience for it. If you don't mind, uh, if we get a little bit into like the logistics, since, since you are uh, one of the producers on the films. Yeah. Did you guys have, what was your shooting schedule like? Did you have a lot of days? Oh, you know. or? <laughs> <laughs> it was pretty intense. So mm-hmm. we shot both films. We shot them each in nine days. Oh, wow. So, um, and then we did, we always allow in the budget, we always allow for two or three days of pickups. Okay. So we shoot the film really quickly. We get it into the edit. Um, we, we do a rough cut and then we look at what else we need. Uh, and what's working and what's not working and you know sometimes it's reshoots sometimes it's additional scenes um, but about you know a month or six weeks after we finish the principal photography we do uh, we do a couple of days of pickup so all in all on the darkest dawn we shot for 12 days okay. and hungerford i think it was uh, i think it was 11 days we shot on hungerford wow because from the trailer it looks it looks like it has high production value I mean, they're both they're both found footage films. I mm-hmm. mean, they, they don't. It, that's not a requirement for us. We don't we don't just do found footage, but these two are found footage, and that was the director's choice. Um, and the, and found footage is very is very forgiving. You know, it it, we, it doesn't matter if it's a bit out of focus. It doesn't matter if the camera's wobbling, because that's all part of the found footage um, grammar, if you like. Mm-hmm. So. So that is one way of helping to get your film shot quickly is to go down the fan footage route. So how many pages was the uh, the script? I'm trying so, to yeah, remember the, what the so, running... So like the I said, waking, I haven't been able to see it, so I don't know the running time, the exact running time. Oh, sure, yeah. So, um, so Hungerford is 80 minutes and okay. The Darkest One is 75 minutes. Oh, perfect. So, so, that, yeah, so, you know, in a page, it, it did work out about a page a minute, maybe slightly more. Yeah, yeah, that's perfect. Because there's a lot of times where filmmakers feel as if, you know, they have to have a full hour and a half or over an hour and a half for it to be a, a feature film, which is yeah. like not necessarily true. You want to you wanna have your viewers wanting more instead of thinking that your film is too long. <laughs> uh, absolutely completely agree yeah completely agree okay it sounds like you guys had like uh like the sets were it sounded like you guys were like speeding you know through through the scenes and he's getting some yeah. great stuff it looks like a lot of fun and, and and i can't wait to be able to check it out so i'm gonna have to go to a uh, full screen and check yeah, it great. out yeah they're, they're so much fun to make these films they are so much fun and and you know it's hard and you do long days and and, uh, you know, you don't quite have enough people. And, you know, we did all the catering ourselves. And, uh, you know, everyone's got two or three jobs. Um, so it's hard. But because you're only, you're only doing it for, like, two weeks maximum, it's really it, – you don't worry because you know it's going to end. I mean, if it was like that and you were doing an eight-week shoot or a ten-week shoot or something, then, you know, that would, be, that would start to be much, much too hard. Yeah. Um, so – I think shooting it quickly is uh, is, is is essential. 
if you want to if you want to make these films and keep the crew happy and have them come back and do it again do it with you again and what was your crew size uh, like kind of pretty small about a dozen people so we had um i mean excluding the cast you know we had a director assistant directors production manager production assistant then we had a camera guy really good a really good sound guy which is essential um someone doing wardrobe one of the cast was a makeup vlogger so she did the makeup you know friends and helpers doing uh, doing everything that we needed them to do so people driving uh, everyone stayed in a different, everyone's house we had no hotel or or accommodation costs um i had at one point i had i had 12 people staying in my house um uh, so we used locations we just used uh, one of the, one of the big locations in the darkest storm was the basement of our office and uh, you know we spent a little bit of money on a couple of good locations but otherwise we just improvised with what we could find so it's really a question of you know it's really a question of of not trying to not trying to achieve perfection but trying to achieve um, excellence yeah. which is you know it's very, it's very different we, we're quite big on that that's one of our mantra you know it doesn't have to be perfect but it does have to be excellent and for uh post-production how long were you guys in post because you had a lot of visual effects and so that's long so that was mm. nearly a year in post the second film the second one. the first film was the hunger was about six to nine months and this and darkest storm was a, was uh, pretty much a year okay and uh you know we say that Another thing that we say is, you know, we, there's a production trilemma, it's, it's called, where you can, you, there's three things that you can control. It can either be cheap, it can be good, or it can be quick. It can be two of those things, but it can't be three. So if you're going to be cheap and good, then you can't be quick. So, um, so yeah, the films do take, if we had more money, we would uh, be able to do the post-production quicker, but um, that's one of the sacrifices that we have to make. As far as uh, uh, being a producer, do you have any any tips as far as like kind of unexpected things that you guys ran into that you re- will think about avoiding the next time? That's a good question. I'm gonna, I don't have a, I don't have an immediate answer for you there, but but I think you know we've written we've come up with the ten rules of the ten rules of making. Um, making a microbuster what we call it we call them microbuster movies yeah i like that i'm just trying to find the article now that we did okay yeah. 10 roll 10, 10 rules of a microbuster here we go i found it so we have 10 rules of a microbuster the first rule is, is script 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 so again working on the script is cheap if you if you're if, if the writer is the director is the creator my co-producer and myself will work on the script for as long as possible. So, so don't try and figure it out, you know, when you're shooting. Figure it out at script stage. Um, number two, story and character, everything. So when you have a lot of money, um, then you can't rely on spectacle. You can't rely on huge set pieces and, and massive visual effects. You have to rely on the characters being interesting um, in order for, to keep the audience interested. So... Uh, you know, that the effects, we use them sparingly. And, and every time we think everyone's ready for another effect, we'll use one. But in between, there are some, you know, there's some pretty, uh, pretty well-developed and well-thought-out character scenes. Number three, uh, use what you've got to hand. So basically, uh, if, you, you know, if, you, if you live near a disused factory mm-hmm. then, and you think you can get permission, then that's where you set your film. Um, if you've got a friend with a drone, use it. Um, basically don't 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 limit yourself by saying it has to be such and such a location 
think yeah. about the locations you can get for example the resources that you're likely to get hold of and then and then make your film fit with, into those resources yeah some people call that the uh, the rodriguez list like the robert yes. rodriguez yeah perfect mm -hmm. yeah really good number four everyone should have at least two jobs Okay. So, um, so I was the uh, producer. I was I was the second assistant director. I did some of the catering, um, and my business partner was the uh, he was the script editor, the producer. He did most of the catering, um, and he was an assistant director on the floor. Five. If you cannot do something, if you don't know how to do something, teach yourself on YouTube. The, the basically, there's almost <laughs> there's almost nothing you can't learn. For the first film, we had. Uh, we had quite a lot of uh, makeup special effects to do, and and we just I just didn't you know at one point that Drew said I really want to have someone to have a burnt face, mm -hmm. and I was at home um, talking to my family about it, and my and my daughter was then 16, and she said, well, can I do it? And I said, well, but you don't know how to do that, and she said, yeah, but I'll just teach myself on YouTube. So <laughs> for like four days, she was wandering around the house with these hideous scars on that she um, she made me order some stuff for her off, off Amazon. Mm -hmm. And um, you know, and the latex was arriving and, and fake blood. She did the she did the makeup for the film, and and it's exactly the same principle. It was good enough that if you, as long as the camera didn't get too close and linger on it too long, you wouldn't you wouldn't say, hey, that looks a bit fake. Yeah. But the way the way we shot it was, um, you know, it was action. It was a quick glance, and it looked fantastic. The makeup looked amazing. Yeah, that's a great one of, as far as uh, you know, whatever you don't know to teach yourself on YouTube because. There is so much content on YouTube and oh, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and you're right. Uh, yeah. You know, filmmakers feel limited and that's what kind of holds us back a little bit. Cause we think we can't do this or we can't do that. Yeah. And yeah, yeah, just take the time to teach yourself. I mean, we're always learning. That's one of the reasons yeah. why I have this show is to, you know, share tips like yeah. this with uh, the crew. Yeah. And uh, yep. shoot, that's a great one. Which number was that? Was that again? That was number. I'm going to send you this list as well. Ty, okay, so perfect, you'll, perfect. You'll, you'll have a link. Number six is the best camera is the cheapest, decent one you can get. So again, sometimes we have uh, directors of photography or camera people who come in and say, oh, "I have to shoot this on the whatever it is, you know, the latest camera," uh -huh. and we go, "That's really, really nice." But what we'd like you to do is use the camera that's just gone out of date. We really want you to use like a generation of cameras that everyone that you would have come to come to us two years ago and said, this is the best camera, I want to use it, because basically all the hire companies have got have got these rooms full of cameras that they can't rent out anymore. And if you say, oh, I'll have those, uh, we'll, we'll rent that camera, they'll give you a really, really good price. So we try to use, um, we try to use the second best quality camera, if you like, um, because you can get great deals on them. And then the big one uh, is that in terms of technical quality, sound is more important than picture. So um, again, DOP's haters for this, but you know you can get away. You can get away with with shooting uh, stuff on a decent camera, but it doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be the best. Yeah. But you really, really, really need to nail the sound. That if you if your if the sound on your film is bad, people will it, people won't buy it. They will not. They will not enjoy it. They won't be able to understand it. Mm -hmm. And it's very very off putting. So we we actually we spend. Uh, money on a sound recordist and then we spend money on a professional one of the big one of the big ticket items in our budgets is a proper sound mix uh, okay. uh, at the end in a with a professional sound mixer so so does a sound recorders have a uh, one job or more than one job <laughs> the sound recordist has one job so that's <laughs> so uh, his assistants mm -hmm. um 
So we, we just have one sound recordist and then we'll yeah. have we'll have you know we'll have uh, runners and assistants doing boom and running around with radio mics and yeah. and that kind of stuff but the but yeah, we want the professional to tell us whether we've got a good enough sound or not exactly um, take number 8 take advantage of prosumer technology so uh, i think that it's kind of a slight a bit of a repetition really of other uh, of other points but you don't need the best equipment mm-hmm. um, you just need equipment that's good enough um, okay Number nine, shoot your movie in 12 days or less. And number 10, the big one really, is know when good is enough. So if you've got, if you've got a director who, who is a perfectionist, you're going to be in trouble because they, they have to know when good is good enough. And that's what I was talking about, the difference between excellence and perfection, is mm-hmm. that uh, you, can, you can always do something better, but you run out of time. And it, it's someone who's willing to work within those constraints is um is a really really important uh lesson that we learned uh, making these microbuster movies well wow, that's a that's a great list yeah make sure i get that link so i can put down the show notes uh, i'm sending it to you there it is. <laughs> i sent it to you now on skype there it is okay perfect quick question have you ever had an opportunity i mean just out of curiosity you don't have to yeah you know uh say any names or anything but have you ever had sure. any situations where you had to pull a director in and, and tell him like, okay, uh, look, it looks great. We, but, but, but we have to move on. We kind of, those people are self-selecting in a sense. And so we, we've had a few directors, for example, who wanted to shoot their first draft and wouldn't change anything because they thought it was perfect. And so we just don't do those films. Um, because if someone's not willing to collaborate with you at the script stage and really, uh, help us make the script as good as it can be and as efficient to shoot as possible, then you know it's only getting it harder when you get on the floor. So so we have had a couple of people that, um, you know, we've started collaborating with and we've parted as friends, but we've just said, dude, you know, if, if, if you're going to dig your heels in at this stage when we haven't even hit the floor, then um, we haven't hit the set, then uh, we don't think this is going to work and you should go and make your film with someone else. So, um, so that's kind of... And so by the time we get shooting, we, you know, we've built up a level of trust. And, um, and when, we say, when we say to Drew, for example, Drew, we think it's time to move on, he goes, OK, got it. Uh, and similarly, when he says to us, look, we, re- we really, really haven't got this scene. We, re- we have to go again. Then we know he's not just making it up. We know that he means it, that he really feels he hasn't got it. Yeah, and as far as uh, uh, Wild Seed Studio, you guys are in the UK. Do you have like a submission process? Yes, yeah, so we do have a submissions process. It runs through our website, wildseedstudios.com. And um, we're, uh, it, that, that, stu- that submissions portal has been closed for a while, but we're actually going to be reopening it this month. So by the end of January, it will be reopened again, and we're happy to take submissions from anywhere. We have oh. we have some criteria, which is that we make we make genre films, so sci-fi, fantasy, horror, thriller, uh, action. They could be comedy, um, uh, but they they need to have kind of some kind of a genre element. We're really more interested in character than we are in sort of intricate worlds and um, and uh, and high concepts initially anyway we want we like to see characters great characters that people have thought about and the third thing is the protagonist of the film we like them to be uh, in in our demographic which is 
uh, which for the audience, which is so basically like the protagonist to be 16 to 24 year olds. So we're not making films about, you know, about marriage or work or, 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 or midlife crisis. We're making films with characters that are uh, having teenage or young adult um, uh, issues. And uh, and those are the those are the kind of characters that we like to see as the main protagonists of our films. What was the decision in, in uh, having that be your your demographic that you're going for? Is it because um, do you plan on having your viewers be more online viewers than trying to hit the theaters as far as when a film is done? Exactly. So so one of the one of the things about self distributing films is uh-huh. that you know it's very hard, especially in the UK, actually very very hard to get a theatrical release. And the, a lot of films, um, a lot of films get made in the UK and never, never see the light of day. So we're, we really just thought well, we're just not going to worry about theatrical. If it comes, we'll be really, really happy. But um, in the meantime, we're just going to go for transactional uh, subscription VOD, and uh, and then we'll take it. Those are going to be the two main platforms. That we're going to launch on, and then we'll sell the television if we can. And with um, with the Darkest Dawn, we've had we've done some theatrical screenings in the UK, and those have mm-hmm. been really good fun. But the main uh, the main focus is on transactional, so iTunes, Amazon, I mean, all in the UK at the moment. They, it will be coming to the US uh, on those platforms very shortly. But the main focus has been transactional and uh, subscription video on demand. That actually makes a lot of sense because sure. you know, just like. Uh, the whole reason why I did the Hollywood hate me, uh, this podcast is to like just create your own Hollywood and not even worry about the big, huge moguls in Hollywood and the huge system, you know, trying to make your way in there. You just create your films, uh, find a way to get your films out there. And, you know, yep. and, and then if they come great, you know, and if they don't, you keep on making your films and you keep on getting your stories out there. Exactly. It's so important. And, you know, eventually a director like Drew, he will want to make a theatrically released movie. But, but you know, if he's made two or three movies that have been digitally released to start with, it's going to give distributors much more confidence that that uh, this is something they can get behind. So we're, we're big believers in just get it, get, get the film made, get it distributed, move on to the next one. It's um, rather than waiting around for permit for permission, if you like to, yeah. to make a film, just, just do it. Uh, Wild Seed Studios, you guys is uh wildseedstudios.com. If you want to, there's a lot of information as far as a submission. Uh, I guess just check back frequently to check out the other projects they have and uh, to look for, you know, how to submit or the questions you have about submitting. So miles, let me think, is there, Anything else? Oh, oh yeah. You said uh, there's some future projects you guys have coming down the pipeline. You want to talk about that a little bit? Sure. So, I mean, one of the things that we've done is we've partnered with, uh, so I said we, we'd actually had some really interesting um, approaches from some other companies. So, and the first one was Pinewood Studios. So, so we have a deal with them that they, they have the ability to invest in our movies if they want to. Mm-hmm. So, um, so we're hoping to make two films a year for the next, uh, for the next uh, few years. Uh, again, all around this budget level, so less than $100,000. Mm-hmm. And we also have, I think we're, we're going to be announcing very soon a, an international distribution partner as well. So, so we're really hoping that we're going to be at people who are not focused, uh, again, on theatrical, but who, who can do theatrical if the, film, if the film justifies it, but who are also interested with us in, in pushing the digital first 
distribution strategy. All right. That's awesome. Uh, Miles, thank you for your time. I, I think that's about it, man. We got everything. It's a great pleasure. And good luck with the podcast. It's a great, uh, it's a great area. And I, and I, and I wish you and your audience a lot of luck making movies outside of the system. Yeah. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Well, 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 Hollywood Hate Me crew. That was Miles Below. Again, if you guys go to the HollywoodHateMe.com website, you'll be able to find this episode. And on the episode page, you will see the links to the shows that he's talking about. You could check out some of the trailers. And then also you could actually see the article with the 10 rules. When you get a chance, just go ahead and go to full screen and check out the show. Just like you said, you could... You could subscribe to that online service for free, I believe, for two weeks. And then from that, you can just go on ahead and check out his movies, some of the other movies. If you like it, stay there. If not, you know, whatever. But let's go ahead and check out the show so we can support our indie filmmaking friends across the sea. That's about it. I hope you enjoyed the show. Peace. Thanks for listening to Hollywood Hate Me with T. Huff. We here at Hollywood Hate Me love your support and can't wait to give you some movie-making insights in the next episode. 